Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol made in Ireland. Contains paracetamol. Always read the label and leaflet. Good morning. Trouble in Dublin City this week. On Monday evening, a guard the car violently rammed in Cherry Orchard while onlookers cheered. Frightening stuff, and thankfully the two guardi in the car did manage to escape. On Clareburn, reaction from Brendan O'Connor of the Garda Representative Association. We have the perfect storm. We have an, in- an inadequate availability of resources to respond to what's reported. The guardi who respond are possibly in a vehicle that's not suitable. There's an issue around driver training. So I have to commend the, the driver of the vehicle and the observer who were able to extract themselves from that danger and, and, and ensure that the situation didn't result in any serious injury. But those guards were traumatised and exposed to danger and it's unacceptable and for any worker to be placed in that position. So it raises all sorts of questions about everything from the equipment, the training and the protocols. Again, we're now investigating this incident. We're all looking at social media posts. Any other police service in the Western world would have at least footage from a car camera or officer camera. We're now relying on, the, relying on two guardi who are most definitely traumatised to, re- to recollect what they saw and gather evidence from other sources. Again, indicative of under-resourcing equipment that's 30 years out of date. All the things that the guards and the Guard Representative Association are beating a drum for years and years and years and not listened to. And we just, this is a manifestation of all the problems we've tried to highlight. People think that we are always complaining, always whinging, always looking for more. The basic steps are not, the basic things are not there for our members to go out there and keep communities safe. Despite all the investment, all the oversight, all the talking shops, police and authorities, guard inspectors, millions and millions and millions spent the taxpayers' money, the guards on the streets will tell the authorities what's wrong and tell them what's needed, but no one is listening to our members or us as their voice. Now everyone was at pains to point out that antisocial behaviour can be found in probably every community in the country. But it seemed that this was not an isolated incident. Rachel manages a crash in Cherry Orchard. She phoned Joe. What's it like up there? Oh, an absolute, this is, that's what I'm laughing, we're seeing this just, as everyone's saying, every single day. Um, and it's just getting worse, do you know what I mean? Like, we've 110 children here attending our childcare service. We're actually right in the middle of that field that was in all the videos yeah, last night. All the and cars, we're just seeing yeah. it every single day. Um, children are walking to school, they're walking past burnt out cars, the fences are destroyed, we do collections from St. Ultimate just across the way. Yeah. It's not safe to bring the children through the field. And oh, um, We used to bring the children out for little sports days and activities just to have a better space. It's not safe to do that anymore. We have to do full risk assessments of our garden areas every day because you just don't know what you're going to find in the gardens. It's just oh, crazy. <laughs> and what, well, Rachel, you're there every day. What is the garden presence like? There's non-existent. We make calls probably once a week to okay. complain about different things. Quads out on the road. Yeah, um, I've seen them just scrambling up bikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, paraphernalia found in our garden, stuff like that. And it's hours you'd be waiting before anyone came. But then the Garda Commissioner said in the last half hour, I've put a lot more resources into Cherry Orchard. You say you haven't. Have you? Are, are, are you're up there today, I presume. Yeah, I am. I'm okay. in the office here now, yeah. Can you see any Garda, any Garda presence? 
No, we haven't seen anything today. You can't really blame them either. Look at yeah. what happened when they did come up last yeah, night. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. All the local politicians do great work. We're part of different forums and community groups that meet to discuss the issue with, with quads and everything else. But unfortunately, nothing seems to be getting better. Is it getting worse? Well, definitely. In the last, we were only having that discussion this morning. In the last few months, we've seen it getting worse. Absolutely. There's been, I think, a burnt-out car in this field once a week for the last two to three months. And on drive time, reporter Barry Lenehan visited Cherry Orchard and got reaction from Bren Cummins with the family-based community group. And while Cummins thought promises from the Garda Commissioner to send in the public order unit might help in the short term, it would not address the underlying issues. And you've been in the area for 40 years now. You've warned something like something needs to be done to, to stop incidents like this happening. What we've done over and over and over again is to just continue to put plasters on, on the issues that are happening in Cherry Orchard. When, when something like this happens, I suppose media jump on board, there's a piece of action then, or I suppose the, the guards increase their presence and then that dissipates. And that's only really putting a plaster on. Like I feel that this behaviour that, that, that we've seen last night is, is just symptom of the underlying problems. And you've come across families who are really struggling at the moment. Families who you say are intimidated but also mothers and fathers who who are crying watching on as their children engage um, in stuff like what happened last night. Families are really struggling and um, and there has to be a balance to this, you know, like there is families or people who who might be living in fear but then there's also I suppose what would be called the perpetrator. There are also people as well that also require support and there is families in Cherry Orchard and the wider community that really, really struggle and they need really, really um, supportive environments to try it. There's no, I don't think there's anybody who sends that kid out there to joyride. Like, that, that's a, a no-brainer. Like, and, and the narrative over Cherry Orchard is that this kind of happens. It's like, no, it doesn't happen. Like, I, I've seen mothers on the side of the road crying as their son was joyriding, trying to get him to stop. That, that, that was like his drug. That's how he got a sense of fulfilment, which is, which is the wrong way to be getting your sense of fulfilment. But that's where, I suppose, community services um, and I've spoke to the Minister for children only last week about this issue of joyriding, showed them, I suppose, a video of what happens here in the night time and asked them, pleaded for, I suppose, the resources to develop an intensive case management programme for these young people. So we work with the young person, their family, their mother, their brother, their sister, and give them all support all at the same time and support that they feel is needed. And later, also on drive time, People Before Profit Solidarity TD for Dublin South Central, Breed Smith, and Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Bay South, Jim O'Callaghan, weighed in with a political response. And O'Callaghan was taking the hard line. There is tuggery happening here, and part of the reason it's happening is there's no sanction. They believe that they are untouchable. And I suppose the, believing, the reason they believe they are untouchable is because they're under 18 years of age, before the law, they're treated as children. The whole, uh, I suppose, focus of the Children's Act and the Children's Court is towards prevention and diversion. Listen, I support that. But there comes a time when there's a certain number of 17, 18-year-olds who just need to be treated differently. Cormac, however, put this to the TD. Every governmental decision has a consequence. And I just wonder, is this a consequence of austerity during the last crash? I don't think so. I think it's a consequence of a number of thugs stealing a car and ramming a guard a car. No, no, that's, that's an the... easy way out of it, Jim. Oh, sorry, that's it... my answer. You mightn't like it. No, that's no, my I, answer. Hang on a second. Where did the thugs come from? 
and how were they fashioned into thugs and so, how did they fall out of education and why weren't they given other opportunities? They don't just arrive as thugs one you day. Don't, you don't know that they fell out of education. You don't know that they weren't given other opportunities. That's just, you're surmising that. Are you, are you denying that that's some, sometimes uh, we, we, part we, of the problem? Sometimes that can be part of the problem, but we also need to recognise, irrespective of what community you're in, there's going to be a small cohort who are going to cre- try to create chaos no matter what services are around. As you might imagine, Breed Smith agreeing with Cormac's line of questioning. Under austerity, what the minister then called the low-hanging fruit was plucked first, and that meant family programmes, wraparound services, addiction programmes, and youth services in particular. So I know loads of really good youth products in, in, in Cherry Orchard and the wider Ballyfermot area, and they don't have enough workers to go out and do the outreach work that used to be done. The leafy suburbs of Dublin 4 don't have the same depth of problem. This is predominantly in areas like Cherry Orchard, where if you look at the housing problem, the fact that the area lies neglected, that things never get repaired, that the train station never opened, that there's a low level of uh, educational attainment, that kids don't have apprenticeships to go to anymore. I think we need to look at this list. Cormac though, back in with this text. PJ in Leitrim, for example, I think agrees with Jim. He says, how come antisocial behaviour is everyone else's fault except that of the thugs who carry it out? Too soft in this country? What about respect for society? identify those responsible, stop their payments, and if underage, that of their father and mother, time to meet fire with fires, says PJ. Well, I think that that is not the sort of approach that we need. Absolutely identify them and absolutely call them out because I started by saying it was unacceptable, outrageous, and we can't have a community living under siege the way the people in Cherry Orchard are. But sending in a big, uh, heavy-handed law and order approach has been proven, and I'll just repeat, 30 years ago I saw it happen. They sent in the, 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 the tons of Gardaí and armoured cars, and the problem is still there. So you have to look more holistic at it. And yes, austerity did hurt areas and continues to hurt areas okay, final like Ballyfermot, like Cherry TDs at Breed Smith and Jim O'Callaghan on Tuesday's drive time. But for another view of Dublin, Arena brought us this Dublin You Are from poet Stephen James Smith. Dublin, you are grey brick upon brick full of tarmac and hipster pricks, just face it. All other places pale in comparison, you are more than some former Saxon garrison Dublin. Your warmth came too late for John Curry, Dublin, are you even sorry? Dublin, you're divided by more than the Liffey. You said yes to equality, it's about bloom and time, yet Dublin, you always proclaimed to cherish all. Dublin, your panties are on Capel Street, compromising any papal feats, Dublin, Jedward, awkward. Dublin. You're more than a settlement on the paddle, but Dublin, what's the crack with coddle? It's shite. Why don't you just admit it? Dublin. You brought back Sam again. But when did you go from the clash of the ash to exchanging gold for cash? Dublin. Dublin. Oblina. Balia And a hundred and eighty other tongues your citizens are using to name you. So cade me to fault you to all. Dublin, where the power is held by too few in the doll. Dublin, when will you revolt again? 1988 wasn't your true millennium, despite the 50 peas and milk bottles, Dublin, you're mine. 
but I'm happy to share you. Just a little bit of Dublin you are from poet Stephen James Smith. But if you're sitting in your kitchen outside the capital going typical RTE Dublin, Dublin, Dublin. Fear not, for Montrose wiped down the wellies and headed to the ploughing. But was this appreciated? It was not. You're very welcome to the ploughing. You're very Listen, welcome. Listen, we don't need any welcome from yes, you at here. all. No. Here, We're no. coming here long before you, Mr Duffy, and our father before us. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the ploughing. Do you hear Wouldn't him? you give him a pain in your ass? <laughs> that's, our, that's our tea all out, as you know. Give them a tint and they think they own the place. I know, lads. I was only... Don't be so prickly. I was only... I was only trying to be polite. Ah, uh, well, don't mind your polite at all. Look... You can shove your polite now and you're free. RTE guide, the one with Miriam in the cover. Again, shove that. <laughs> shove that you where the sun don't shine. Sun shine. <clears throat> and a similar tone for the Darcy Kildare born and bred, which you would think would count for something. But no. The plough is like a big farmer's market, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's but great. What I like most about it is this a lot of the people there are like myself, who have a farming background. Yes. Salt of the earth. Yeah. You're genuine. Your tribe. My type. I'm yeah. not saying you're not. I'm just saying yeah. that I understand. <laughs> I understand. They understand me and I understand them. We ploughed the same for us. Do okay. you understand? And what do you, where, where, what do you think about me? Where am I from? Well, yeah, but you're, you're gone away from that. Yeah, I suppose I have. I yeah. suppose I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got rid of the wellies, haven't you? I have a pair at home. I didn't need them today, thankfully. Yeah, yeah they're there. I, I said they were probably borrowed for the day, were they? No, they weren't, no. I said I have a pair of wellies. Oh, good man. You good probably man. don't know me as well as you think you know no, me. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. We're going to continue this off air. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no. yeah, we can do it. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Oh, Janie, they're in a culture off. And then poor Ray gets it in the neck from the turkey. You, you know what, Ray? I have to yeah. say, you're doing a brilliant job here in the radio. If you're like that in television, you still have your own chat show. <laughs> I wouldn't mind, but they're friends. And the Darcy working so hard to bring us gems such as this. We had meetings after meeting about this sheep or cow quiz. It's, oh. it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the world of television and radio. But it was surprisingly good crack. Meet contestant number one, sheep farmer Marvin. I'm just here to have fun. <laughs> Versus Katrina. Right. I, I'm married to a part-time farmer. And the quiz, well, it is as it sounds. Sheep or cow? Hinterwald. Uh, sheep. It's a cow. It's a cow. It's a German Taurus subspecies used for meat and dairy. Sheep or cow? East Frisian. Okay. It's a sheep. It's a sheep. You can play this at home. You can play Hi. this at home. Back to you, Mervyn. Sheep or cow? The meat master. Cow. It's a sheep. It's a sheep. Who would have thought it? It's a South African sheep used for its meat. Sheep or cow? Greyface Dartmoor. Sheep. This is to win the quiz, the inaugural sheep or cow quiz. You say sheep. Let's see if you're right. Yes! Yay! And there you have it. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Lyric, when two worlds collide. I have John Daly uh, on the old drums on the line this morning. John, good morning. Hello, John. No, this is Rona here. Hello, Brona. Um, what, what do you do, Brona? Do you play bass in the band? 
No, oh no, I don't. I'm so sorry. I think I've called into the wrong number. That's all right. Who are you hoping to find? I was hoping to find Jennifer Zamparelli on 2FM. Oh, I know her. She's completely different to me. This is Marty Whelan on Lyric FM. And she... Hi, that's tall. Um, are you, so you probably have to redial now, will you? Um, yes, yeah. I think I will. Oh, you can um, talk to I me. I mean, is it really interesting what you have to say? Well, look, I'm doing the top four stories on Australia, so you oh, never right. know, Marty. Right. There's no music. <laughs> you don't have to have music to tell the top four stories. Well, te- can you tell me one of them just now that you're here? Chit-chatting away, live on air. Well, absolutely. Well, I suppose Australia's reaction to the Queen passing is yes. probably the bit is probably the biggest one, and I suppose they're they're looking to see who's going to be on our currency, which face is going to be on the Australian dollar coin. So oh, right. that's the big one. So, that's yeah. the big one. Well, but that'll be a while away, won't it? Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say so. I would say so. It'll yeah. t- take them a while because they'll phase them out, out before they bring in the other ones. I'd say. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. absolutely. But if you hang on to them, there might be worth money in the future. There's always that. Oh, well, look at them. I'm telling you, bank it up now. You never know. You might be able to get a mortgage by the time you're 60. Yeah, well, that's very true. Incident- <laughs> did you know, did you know that the Australians don't particularly like uh, dessert? At this point, Particular- I'd say she just wants to get off the line. Parti- no, yeah, particularly that. meringue. No way. I yeah, did not know yeah. That. Apparently, apparently, when they see it, they boo meringue. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's a dad joke. Then, I've ever heard one. Well, it's, it's been worth it's been worth the, f- the five minutes we've had together. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Marty. Bye-bye. See you. It's been lovely. Marty, Marty, Marty. But staying with lyric. Culture file, bicycles and folk songs. What is not to like? And Ukrainian duo Folknery, who cycle around collecting old songs. So, uh, west parts of Ukraine uh, had less influence from the USSR than uh, middle part, uh, central part, and east part. And that's why in the west part of Ukraine, they uh, more speak Ukrainian language. They uh, have lots of uh, small groups like Lemke, Boyke, uh, Hutsuli, and they have their special singing, their special songs. When we move moving from the west to the central, we see other singing, other lyric. And when we go closer to the Russia border, we see more uh, Russian songs, and on the north, um, it's a part of we call it Polesia, Polisia, and it's uh, lots of forest, lakes, and uh, like uh, you can breathe very deep in that territory. Ter- territory, and they use lots of this. Whoo! When they sing in, they do. Whoo! And you have here with you an expert. Whoo! <laughs> Whoo! <laughs> No, because it's a forest and uh, you need to uh, try. Uh, um, this, they, they used to call someone from another part of forest, you know. Can we sing something? Show them. Guaranteed to be heard in the far field. From Culture File. 
and staying with Ukraine, but matters more serious. Focus on the war this week turned to Russia. On Wednesday, an address to its people from President Vladimir Putin, who called for a partial mobilisation of citizens in the reserve and with previous military experience, a number close to 300,000. So, is the war coming a little too close to home for ordinary Russians? On yesterday's Morning Ireland, Mary spoke to ABC News international reporter Patrick Reevil. We saw the first full day of mobilisation yesterday and I think there is a great deal of reluctance and shock among people who are being mobilised across the country. I think at the moment we're seeing large numbers, we've seen videos appear, we see hundreds of people uh, lining up at recruitment offices, but we don't see enthusiasm for it. We see people in shock, we see tearful farewells as people are leaving. And I think people are kind of stunned. I mean, this is the first time that Russia has had a mass mobilisation since World War II. And even just a week ago, really, the Kremlin was saying it wouldn't need one. And so people now are kind of realising what it means. And it means that, you know, their fathers and brothers are suddenly being sent off to war um, very abruptly, you know, with with just a day's notice. Suddenly what they thought was a distant war, they're now finding they're being sent directly to it. And it's also, it appears, quite chaotic. You know, we're seeing people, reports of people turning up and not having any uniforms. There's now going to be this question of how, how are they going to be armed? Is there going to be enough uh, training for them as well? And so I think really, while they're, and as well as you say, we're seeing also these tens of thousands of people fleeing for the borders. So I think there's certainly no enthusiasm for this. I think the question is just how much is there resistance and anger? Certainly, there was anger and some resistance, with protests in Russian cities, mainly the larger ones. Just after five o'clock on Wednesday, Drive Time brought us this from Francis Scar, who follows Russian media for BBC Monitoring. It's just gone 7pm in Moscow and that is the time that this anti-war movement in Russia called for protests to start against President Putin's decree. Uh, So can you tell us what you've been hearing about the scale and, and the outcome of those protests? Well, I think, first of all, you have to remember in Russia that for some time now, it's essentially illegal to actually protest. If you want to conduct a protest, you have to get prior permission from the authorities. And obviously, you're not going to receive that unless it's something that they don't see as a threat. In this case, all of these protests are, according to Russian law, illegal. So we've seen people being arrested throughout the day as the kind of time has swept across the country, starting in the Far East, moving across Siberia to the Urals. And now, as you said, in the last 15 minutes or so, protests have begun in Moscow, St. Petersburg. Um, Because of the threat of immediate arrest, essentially, in the last year or so, protests have been pretty minor, nothing like we saw before in Russia or we we see in the West sometimes. Um, so the independent prison rights um, monitor website called OV, OVD Info, which is, is well known in Russia, they're reporting that just under 100 people have been detained. That was as of an hour ago. So it likely would have risen slightly. Um, and in Moscow and St. Petersburg, we traditionally see the biggest protests. They're, of course, Russia's biggest cities. So that will increase in the in the next couple of hours. But really, I don't think we're going to see, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on the street tonight. And it would turn out that 1,300 people were arrested for protests. This weekend will also see Russian-controlled regions in eastern and southern Ukraine hold what are widely acknowledged to be sham referenda on becoming part of Russia. Here is Professor Tracy German, lecturer in Defence Studies at King's College London on the News at One. They hold these referenda um, and they can then claim that these occupied territories then become Russian territory. They are changing then the the war 
um, it is no longer Russian aggression against Ukraine or you know, this limited operation. It then, from the Russian perspective, will become a defensive war. This is, you know, in their narrative, will be defending as they would claim, Russian territory. And I think that is a very significant shift, um, trying to change the situation on the ground in their favour. And I think selling this to the Russian population, I think this is an important aspect that we do need to consider. If you are trying to mobilise people um, to fight in your armed forces, if you say that the country is under threat, mm. you must you know, sign up and fight to defend your territory. I think there is an element of that going on here as well. And another aspect of Putin's speech that was particularly chilling was his threat to use nuclear weapons. Our country also has a variety of weapons of destruction, and in some areas even more modern than those of NATO countries. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will without question use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. Not a bluff, he says. But how credible a threat is this? On Thursday, Claire spoke to chemical and nuclear weapons expert Hamish de Breton-Gordon. Putin says he's not bluffing about that. Many have said since he made that threat yesterday that he is bluffing. What do you think? Well, I think it is to have the assumption that he is bluffing, I think he's very, very dangerous. I would prefer to look at it to have an assumption that he would use them and then prepare um, so that hopefully... If he knows that, that the Ukraine and NATO are prepared, he's less likely to use them. And secondly, if he's prepared, there'll be a less of an impact. And, and there are two things here. We're looking at the tactical nuclear threat. These are, I mean, it sounds crass to say it. These are, are small nuclear weapons, but actually still hugely powerful. We know that they're on vehicles that will need to drive fairly close to Ukraine because they only have a range of about 300 miles. Now, it's absolutely clear that that the US and NATO will pick these vehicles up as soon as they start moving. So, number one, I think we need to tell Putin if he moves those vehicles with the nuclear weapons on towards Ukraine, we will take them out with long-range precision missiles. So, so that's the sort of number one thing. I think the number two threat is the sort of weaponization of the nuclear power stations, not just Zaporizhia, the major nuclear power station, but we also saw early in the week missiles fired at other ones. We need to have a demilitarized zone, give the Ukrainians capability to take missiles out that are fired at them so that we can take that nuclear threat. Because I think Putin is in the sort of last chance saloon, as it were. His conventional forces have failed. He's sort of looking to throw as much new untrained manpower there to try and plug gaps. That is not going to work. He's really the only other option before he either, you know, disappears into the night, um, is that that he goes out with a bang and he's threatened the nuclear side. I think, yeah, I was delighted to see that Biden earlier on, or at the end of last week, made absolutely clear that there is a red line on the use of nuclear weapons. And I think the other NATO leaders need to make that absolutely clear as well. You know, we need to assume that he might use it Mm -hmm. and prepare properly in that case. 
And at the UN Assembly this week, outrage and condemnation from world leaders at Putin's threat to use nuclear weapons. Claire put this to Scott Lucas of the Clinton Institute at UCD. So you are in no doubt now that this is heading for escalation. Oh, look, Vladimir Putin's been escalating every step of the way. He just happens to have been failing. This is just the latest step of the escalation. Uh, It's his latest threat. To put it in context for you, Vladimir Putin escalated a few weeks ago when he thought he could make us freeze in our homes by turning off the taps uh, for oil and gas and that everybody would start to turn away from Kiev. Didn't work. So he has to do something else now. Fact of the matter is Vladimir Putin will keep escalating until the day his forces are comprehensively defeated on the battlefield. The question is whether there's enough will to support Kiev before that comprehensive defeat arrives. And to finish, what of the reaction to all of this in Ukraine? On Wednesday's Morning Ireland, just after Vladimir Putin's speech, Ukrainian MP Ina Sovson struck this note of defiance. I think that is a pathetic old man speaking, desperate in, in, in the war that he got stuck in. Are we scared? Yes, we are. But I also think that it's important to note that today in the morning, Putin also showed that he is scared as well. What a week it has been. Back in a bit. Welcome back. Have a listen to this. District 12, listen up right here. There's a new name on the ballot for the Senate this year. My name is Linda Paulson, Republican and awesome. Love God and family and the Constitution. I'm pro-religious freedom, pro-life, pro-police. The right to bear arms and the right to free speech. I want less government control and regulation. Want to stop and expose all political corruption. Where do I put my tick? That is Utah State Senate candidate, Republican Linda Paulson, aiming to woo voters with her song slash rap slash words fail me. Well, former independent TD for Dublin Bay North and no stranger to Key of G, hit it, Finian McGrath gave his verdict to drive time. It's pretty okay because from from her standpoint, where she's coming from, she's getting her, her message across, and I think that's essential. She's getting her, she's obviously pitching that at the Republican kind of Trump base, and she's getting that across. So I would say that's a fairly uh, effective one. And marks out of ten, I give it six out of ten. Oh, oh! I didn't realise we were doing out of tens. That's well, brilliant news. I'm just, I'm, I, 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 that's the way I think. Okay, six out of ten. Yeah. Uh, but do you think there's any chance that something like that would make her an object of ridicule to the point where she couldn't be taken seriously? My, my experience, and I was involved in politics for over 20 years there, as you know, it's, I actually think it's a good idea because the broader public, I know there's a certain amount of people in the political uh, bubble will say, will look down their noses, someone that will be very precious about it, but I think most of the punters in the broader society will enjoy it because uh, any time that I was involved in music projects, the public were always very positive towards it. They enjoyed it because it showed the human side of the TD, yeah, or in this yeah. case, the senator, and it also showed the fun side. So I think people uh, will enjoy it and take it for what it is. But also an important thing is there's also a, a section of the electors that are not engaged at all in politics and she will reach in there to get, to get her message across. So to me, it's an effective one. Of course, I, as I said, I don't agree with her politics, but I mean, okay. I still give her 10. six out of ten. 
Serious point, duly noted. But we will stick with the cheap seats for the mark set of 10 because Drive Time dug out some other campaign songs closer to home. What would Finian give this offering from Cork rapper GMC in support of Labour's Alan Kelly? People around me are sick of the blunders made by the government. Sometimes I wonder if our economy will be torn asunder. We need a leader in Europe for one star. Don't make a wrong choice. Vote Alan Kelly. Monson needs a strong voice. Vote Alan Kelly. Bring a young, fresh attitude. Vote Alan Kelly. Who is the man to do it? Alan Kelly. So that's good. You're now moving uh, Cormac into the Premiership now, <laughs> because he gets he gets Alan Kelly's name out there quite a lot. He does. He's also reflecting the anger and the political views at that time in the country. So I would say he's definitely that one to be moving into eight out of ten as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, he's just firing those points. And finally, for the second time this playback, the Healy Rays. Working days and nights and evenings, lots of road and plenty meetings. Parking back and turning, trailing, keeps on smiling, he's amazing. Call and meet him when you need him, always there when help is needed. To common sense and experience, come on now, folks, let's vote him in. Oh, make your vote and pray that he goes all the way. He's back to the map with his black cap, and there's no time for tea. But vote him one. Vote him two, vote him anyway. Make the different vote him in. It's Michael Healy Ray. Finney McGram with the Michael Healy Ray's 2016 campaign song. What you, how do you rate it? He'll give us 9 out of 10, sir. I don't know. I, don't know. I thought the <laughs> Alan Kelly one was catchier. Well, first of all, the message is very strong. The tune is very tight. The one line where I dock him maybe one or two points is because he's saying vote him one or vote him two. Uh, most politicians, when you're knocking at doors, you're always looking for the number one first. That's the priority. Okay. You never say give me the number two. Mixed you messaging. only say that when you're, if you're really having the hope of getting number one, then you say... You get, would you give? Would you consider me for a number two? But I, I actually think he gets that. Mike, Michael's brand is there. The rural guy, that crowd up in Dublin, that kind of message is coming across. So I would give that a nine out of ten. Nine. Oh, oh you're there right. You go. <laughs> okay, look, Finny, Oh my, that is a trend we sincerely hope does not catch on. Finney and McGrath on Drive Time. On Thursday, Ryan spoke to Sarah Kylie. She is a young widow. Her husband Damien died four years ago at the age of 45. And her insights into the raw pain and loneliness of grief were very honest. But she started by telling Ryan about her and Damien's love story. We met on the first day of college. I remember vividly, actually, he was sitting at the back of the class he always said I was a bit of a nerd and I was sitting at the front of the class. <laughs> he still used to call me a nerd even 20 odd years later. What a um, compliment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd take that. Yeah, I'd take that. So, yeah, that's how we met. Um, we, First day of college. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's fate, isn't it? If, if you believe in that, it really feels like that. For, yeah. Front of the class, back of the class, two worlds collide. And yeah. What was it about him that was so striking? He was, he was a bit giddy, a bit of a messer. Yeah. And I was a bit, obviously a bit straight laced and had my uniform pressed and was always, you know, because we had our chef's whites on. And yeah, so it was his smile, I suppose, really. He was, he had a great smile. And that was pretty much that. They would go on to have two children together. But everything changed four years ago. On the 13th of October in 2018, the world for me ended. 
absolutely ended. And I don't think I'm back to myself yet, even four years later. It's just when you're with someone for that long, we were together for 21 years and you grow up together and you grow up with each other and you evolve into a couple over time and you go through ups and downs like any other couple. But that day I thought my life was over. What happened? Damien died on the 13th of October. Um, it was, I knew it was going to happen, but nothing ever prepares you for that. And she talked about how very difficult it had been to come to terms with what had happened. It's very hard to accept that someone in the prime of their life who had so many plans, uh, who worked so hard to get to a point in their life where we were comfortable enough to be able to afford a holiday, to be able to treat ourselves every now and again. And then, like to sit, I remember one day vividly actually sitting in... um, St. Vincent's Hospital with Damien and he said, will we go down to the chapel? We went down there and we sat there. And I remember that being one of the most difficult parts. I could, we, we'd, we'd pray together, you know, like not, we weren't, we didn't, we weren't mass scores per se, but we were religious and we relied heavily on, on our faith during that very difficult period. And I remember sitting in the church with him that day in St. Vincent's and he was, he was actually praying to God, please let me live. Please, yeah. give me a, give me another anything. D- tell me what it is, whatever it is. If I have to have chemo every week for the rest of my life, I'll do it. But please, just let me live. And to sit next to him and realize how much he he wanted to live and how much, how many plans we had. You know how we were going to try to retire early because mm. we were always so prudent with money and try to do the right thing all the time and provide well for Emily and Tiernan, both of whom were planned. And we took a decision after Tiernan was born that we weren't going to have any more children. So in our house, everything was planned. So for this to happen, it was, hang on a minute. And even still, even the day that Damien was diagnosed, it was kind of, right, okay, this is this is crap, but we need to deal with it. We can plan our way out of this. We can plan our way out of it, yeah. exactly. Mm. If we do what they're telling us mm. to do, if we comply, if we're the good people in the class. Which you were. And I want to go back to that vignette that you paint there in the church and you're sitting beside Damien and you're not thinking of God at that point. You're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of that beautiful husband of yours who's praying to God and to Jesus and to whoever yeah. to, to get him out of that corner. What's going through your mind? I was just crying, to be honest. I was saying, why, like, why us? Do you know, why us? Why does it have to happen to us? And Sarah Kiley did not flinch from articulating the anger she felt and still feels. Some days you want to scream because why, why was I a widow at 39? What's fair about that? Why did Damien have to suffer? Why did I have to fight to get him home? Why do people avoid me now? Um, how do people, I've heard this before and I find it fascinating. How do people avoid you, Sarah? And do, do they think that you've gone blind because they can, <clears throat> you can see them ducking into the shop or I think it's hiding behind the aisle? Yeah. So, yeah, talk to me about yeah. how you approach all of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very awkward at times, especially in the first few months after someone has died. That is the hardest part. Your whole world falls apart. And my my reaction to Damien's death was very extreme, to be honest. What does that mean? I wore black for eight and a half months. Mm-hmm. 
I had a huge physical reaction as well. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't drink. Um, I to, to kind of sustain myself, I used to drink Bovril mm. and just have toast. And I thought I was doing fine. I just bring the kids to school, try and get through the day because all the time in the back of my mind, I was hoping, wishing that this wasn't real. This couldn't be my life. Sure, we had it planned. This isn't this isn't the way it's supposed to be. A 45 year old man isn't supposed to die. Now she got counselling, which she said saved her life. And for people offering comfort in easy phrases, however well meant, she had this to say. People can say the most bizarre things. They do. They give, say, us, give us the greatest hits. As, uh, as you the see greatest it. hits. Uh, you're still young. A month after Damien died, you're still young. You'll meet someone new. Um, and I haven't, for the record, I haven't. So <laughs> let the record show. <laughs> let the record show. <laughs> a month after. Yeah, a month. Wow, okay. Yeah. A- anything else? Um, just things like you'll get over it. Oh, yeah. It gets easier over time. All those platitudes. So again, did you get the mortgage line? Oh, I did. Tell me what the mortgage line is. Uh, the mortgage, yeah, sure. Aren't you grand? Your mortgage was cleared after he died. Oh my. But life can be long and her late husband Damien had plans for her whether she wanted to hear them or not. I I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life and Damien actually said to me before he died that he would like me to meet someone and I thought it was, I cried like the rain when he said it because he said, look, you're too young. He said, you know, you've the rest of your life to live. I'm not going to be here and I I need you to have a bit of balance in your life and someone on their own can't have balance. We're made to be together and I thought we were made to be together forever because when I met him I was 18 and thought I'd spend the rest of my life with him. So God had other plans. God had other plans unfortunately yeah. Sarah Kiley with Ryan on Thursday and she is raising money for the Irish hospice movement. With Ray, some other beautiful bird song. That is the sound of the Skylark, one of Dara McAnulty's superstars when it comes to birdsong. And his new book is called A Wild Child's Book of Birds. And as he told Ray, the trill and virtuosity you hear is down to a particular design feature. And tell us about the the syrinx of a bird, S-Y-R-I-N-X. So, um, birds, obviously, very different from mammals. And so they've got a different way of producing sound with their voices. They've got they've got two voice boxes, um, and they basically can use this to create two different melodies at the same time. So that's if I was able to have two different conversations with the same voice <laughs> at the same time. Yes, or, or do back and vocals for yourself. Basically, yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. this allows them to actually harmonise with themselves wow. and create beautiful, beautiful melodies. And one species that makes particular use of the syrinx is the blackcaps. I've, I've never heard of blackcaps before. That's full on, that one, isn't it? Yeah, so these are the warblers. And 
they have the most complex song, some of the most complex songs they're really they're really using that sirens to make sure that they can get those two melodies going at the same time so it sounds like there's like more than one bird yeah. and so you've got like your reed warblers your willow warblers your chiff chaffs and of course your black caps which uh they migrate off from like a uh, greece and the mediterranean to come up to here and he singled out the robin but not quite the innocent it might seem Now, robins are, they're adorable, but they do have a habit that if another male walks into a male's territory, they have a tendency to rip out their throat. Oh, right. (laughs) Ficious. We'll never look at a robin in the same way again. Well, that is it from this week's playback. And if you are turning over in the bed, recovering from culture night, this might take you back. These two featured in Lockbora. Talk to you next week. Sometimes I'd hear a melody, the sound of what could be. Sometimes I'd hear a melody.